Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that Blue Spruce Capital is lending on one to four unit fix and flips in multiple states. Contact Blue Spruce Capital by going to the show notes. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, and today I've got Marco Santarelli. Marco, how are you? I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me on your show. I am happy that you're here. A little quick a bit about Marco is that he actually owns Narada Real Estate Investments, which is a turnkey provider nationwide to provide cash flowing investment properties to other people. They're actually pretty big because they're doing about 500 of these deals per year to offer opportunities for cash flow. And uh, if that wasn't enough, being the, the, the main guy about cash flow, the one that everybody goes to, He's got one of the top 10 to 20, it, it fluctuates, <laughs> business podcasts in, on iTunes right now, and that's called Passive Real Estate Investing. So very, very simple. Just go to Passive Real Estate Investing. There's, uh, as at the time we're recording, there are a little above 100 episodes over the last three years that he's been recording. And uh, those top 10 to 20 business-related um, business podcasts, he's actually always been in the top 200 on iTunes for the last few years, which is amazing and very consistent. I appreciate you being here today. What did I miss? Tell the listeners a little bit about you. That was a great intro, Adam. Thank you very much. I think you hit it all. And uh, yeah, uh, the one thing I, I would just mention is if someone's interested in the podcast, it's it's PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. That's the home of the podcast. But of course, you could search on iTunes. It's just easier to go to PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Perfect. Okay. I'll have that in the show notes. So guys, you can scroll cool. down right now and, and you'll see PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com and it should be a clickable link and you can jump right on. Sounds All great. Right. So let's, let's ask you a few questions. How did you, how and why did you even get into turnkey rentals? Well, <clears throat> the story of how I got involved in turnkey rent real estate actually goes as far back as when I was 18 years old, which was a long time ago. Um, that's actually when I started investing in real estate. I just knew that it was a wealth creator. And I'm sure most of your listeners listening to this realize that it's, it's a great vehicle to create income and create wealth. And I just knew that at an early age, probably 15, 16, because I saw other people that didn't flaunt their wealth, but I knew they had wealth. And so when I turned 18, I bought my first rental because I could qualify for, for financing, right? And um, from there, I just started building a small portfolio and I got my real estate license. But fast forward to 2003, we all know that in 03, real estate was hot. Virtually every market in the country was appreciating rapidly. And I don't call that investing. Let's just be clear about that. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're chasing appreciation, you're a speculator. That's, it's plain and simple. That's why millions of people got caught with their shorts down back then. Uh, or in 2007 when, you know, the housing market essentially crashed. But um, I started buying a lot of property in 2004. In fact, in that one year, I accumulated 84 units. And that wasn't one apartment building. That was a lot of property, mostly single family homes and duplexes. And in, early on, people were coming to me saying, hey, Marco, can you give me a hand? Can you guide me, be my coach, mentor me, whatever the case is? The reality is, is, is I, I I was fine with helping people, but I just didn't have the time or the bandwidth to be everyone's mentor. So long story short, I wanted to be at the end of that food chain. I wanted to provide guidance and help and counseling um, free, but, but, but have the deals ready to go. And that's, in other words, what we call a turnkey investment on a silver platter with 70% of the work done, the due diligence done, um, 
and that, that's how the turnkey model came to be as people were coming to me asking for help. And that's the light bulb moment, you know, that aha, Hey, there's a, there's an opportunity here. How can I help people and make it a win-win? So we profit and they, you know, they get ahead. Awesome. What markets are you in for those 500 deals per year? Today we're in 18 markets. Why? Because there's a shift in the market. Real estate is, is constantly in flux. I like to think of it as a pendulum on a, on a wall clock. It swings one way and then it swings the other. And the thing is, is that you're either in a buyer's market or a seller's market. The problem we have today, if you wanted to call it a problem, is we're in a strong seller market in most of the markets across the country, the primary, the secondary, and the tertiary markets. And so in an ideal world, I would love to only be in six markets, three strong cash flow markets and three markets that focus on equity growth or appreciation. Not that that's the lead. It still has the cash flow, but you have more equity potential. The problem is because inventory is tight, it's short. Um, I've had to go wide by bringing on more markets, the 18 markets, and, and, and make up, to make up for the depth that we don't have. For example, in Atlanta, we get maybe one or two a month right now when in the past we were having you know, eight to 10 to 20 at any given time. So I've had to go wide to make up for the lack of depth. And that's just you know, the problem we have today. It's, we have a tight market. Gotcha, gotcha. If the listeners are curious, at this point, when they hear this podcast come out, what would you say would be uh, five or six markets that you really, really like right now? So if, if you are a strong cash flow player, I would suggest looking, and these are only examples, and I bring them up because they're markets that we have a lot of success in and we have inventory in. Um, <clears throat> Birmingham, Alabama, great market. It's got stability. It is purely a cash flow play. Um, Although you'll see growth over time, so don't get me wrong, it's not just cash flow, especially the neighborhoods that we're in. Birmingham, Alabama is a great market, strong numbers, and Alabama is one of the best states in the country in terms of landlord friendliness. You know, the, the, the laws are stacked against the tenant and for the landlord. Memphis, Tennessee seems to be that all-time perennial market where, you know, it's always, uh, there, there are always deals and always cash flow. Um, <clears throat> if I had to throw a third one in there, I'd probably say... Um, maybe Indianapolis, um, although Indianapolis started to appreciate a little bit more and a little faster lately, but it's still more of a cash flow market. And then uh, a hybrid market, market that's a balance between cash flow and growth potential. I would probably put Jacksonville, Florida in that market, um, Houston, Texas, and Kansas City, Missouri. So you are talking about cash flow markets and hybrid markets. <clears throat> So it kind of shows that your main focus is not just appreciation. Is that right? No, everybody loves appreciation, but we like to think of it as icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. Appreciation happens over time just because if you think of what a property is, it's sticks and bricks. It's made of commodities that are sitting on a chunk of dirt. And so we just know that if you look at the commodities market and what inflation does to pricing as, as a whole, prop prices of everything go up over time with few exceptions just because of inflation. So your rental property is nothing but um, a commodity that has utility. It's got functional value. In other words, you can rent it and you can provide utility to someone. So that has to naturally over time appreciate unless you, of course, 
uh, stop taking care of capital expenditures or repairs and maintenance, or you're in a really bad neighborhood and, and you lose the demand, you know, the supply and demand equation, right? Mm-hmm. It will go up over time. So, so a, appreciation happens naturally over time. The thing is, is we put cash flow at the top of the list because I like to think of cash flow as the glue that holds your deal together. And so if you've got that cash flow, guess what? Your equity grows over time for two reasons. One, you've got amortization of your loan. You know, every, every month your, your, your tenant's paying off that mortgage and it becomes less and less. And then over time, you have appreciation so that further increases the equity in the property. So we're into, we're into real estate for, for, you know, four or five reasons. One is the income. Two is the depreciation, which is, you know, a phantom write-off. It's, it's magical. Uh, three is the amortization of loan. Four is the equity growth. And uh, fifth is the fact that we can leverage this. A bank is willing to give you 80% of that purchase price. You put 20% down, you have 100% of the property and 100% of the benefits. So I put cash flow at the top of that list. And then those other four benefits just, you know, piggyback right along. I love it. So the top five income slash cash flow, then depreciation, amortization, equity growth, and leverage. Exactly. Equity growth through the amortization of the loan. Yes. So you've got two ways to increase equity in a property. Perfect. Got it. I appreciate you going over that. That is helpful. All right. So you said that you had 84 units. Did you say that was your first year or which year was that? 2008? Uh, That was 2004. 2004. How long had you been involved in real estate when you got those 84 units in one year? Well, like I said before, I started when I was 18. So I've been a very passive real estate investor. It was, um, I wouldn't say it was a hobby. I did look at it as an investment. And when you look at an investment, you take it seriously, you run it as if it, as, as if it was a business. <clears throat> but it wasn't until 2003, 2004 that I got back into real estate because I was involved in other things. But I got back into it full time and in a serious way because I wanted to be a, a full time real estate investor. And then I created Norada Real Estate. Um, and that was the business that kind of came from other real estate investors spending literally tens of thousands of dollars at these boot camps coming to me saying, Hey, you know, we're getting this education as great as it is. I can't pull the trigger. I need help. So that, that, that's how it all kind of came together. Yeah. It is frustrating to see people going and paying that amount of money when it doesn't turn into them doing deals. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's painful to watch because they were literally whipping out credit cards and paying up to $35,000 for five or six boot camps. How does Norada Real Estate solve that problem? So we, we want to provide a, a seamless, complete solution, a turnkey solution where investors who just lack time mostly, number one is, is don't have all the time in the world to create, um, to assemble their team, go through that learning curve, find the right markets, find the right neighborhoods, sift through and find the deals. Um, they're, they're really our target market, people who lack time, but it's also people who lack maybe knowledge or expertise or just need guidance. Um, you know, a lot of the people we work with are, are professionals, you know, be it dentist, doctors or career people, but hey, they, they span from literally 18 years old to 60 some, you know, we, we, <laughs> we don't discriminate. Um, but the value we provide is that we already have the properties that people would, would want that are looking for. We've vetted out the markets, the neighborhoods, we have the properties, we have the entire team in our network. Um, so you don't need to go find that property manager or the lenders or the properties. Uh, we, without, 
charging anything, we basically provide that handholding to educate people, find out where you are today, where is it you want to go, like what are your investment goals. Um, let's map that out. Let's create a roadmap and, and base that off your investment criteria. And if you don't know what that criteria is, we'll, we'll ask you questions and pull it out of your head. At the end of the day, everybody has a profile that determines what they're going to be investing in and, and, where they, and how they're going to get to where they want to go. So at the end of the day, it's all about providing free education, holding your hand, counseling and consulting you, providing you all the resources you need. Uh, the tools are there. The information's there. We put a lot of it on our website. Um, it's, what I'm saying sounds a little bit loosey-goosey, but you know, it's just think of having an unbiased financial advisor. But here's one key thing. I just, I just forgot, I forgot to mention and I just remembered. Um, everything we do is completely agnostic, meaning we're not biased to any market or, or property manager or, or property provider or title company or inspector or anything like that. We're very nimble. So as the market changes, we're able to go to and recommend different markets and different properties for, for different reasons based on market conditions and who you are as an investor. Yeah. So if you're talking to, hypothetically speaking, a local real estate agent, and let's just say they know what they're talking about and they're a real estate investor, which is pretty rare to find a real estate um, agent who's also a seasoned practicing real estate investor, they have to be biased because the only thing they can talk to you about are the properties in, in their market, which is not the state or the country, it's really their geographic area, their metropolitan area. So that may be limiting because there may be some good deals there, but it, it may not be the best you can do. And so you have to kind of open your mind and realize, oh man, we live in the United States of America. There are over 400 metropolitan areas in this country. There's always going to be a lot of opportunity. Let's look at the best of the best. So that's, that's, that's the key. I love it. So when you're looking at your markets, when you're providing turnkey opportunities to other people, uh, what do these properties look like? What age are they typically? How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? Are they single family, multifamily, or both? Um, interesting question. So properties are typically single family detached. Sometimes we have duplexes and sometimes we have fourplexes. The problem is, is they're very, very hard to find duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. And when they do come along, they're gone before they even hit our website. So you need to work with our investment counselor to basically be on the list, if you will, like on their radar. So if yeah. and when it comes along, we can notify you immediately. It's just the reality of, of having tight inventory. Everybody's, you know, shooting for those duplexes and fourplexes. But there's nothing wrong with single family homes. It's, it, it's a great building block. So I'd say 90% of what we sell are single family homes. They're typically three bedroom, two bath, but it really comes down to what's neighborhood normal. In some neighborhoods, three bedroom, one bath is normal or three and one and a half. Yeah. Um, but they range from two to four bed. Um, the classification of the neighborhoods are typically B, B plus and A minus. We cover the entire range from uh, C plus to A, A plus. But if you look at a bell curve, we're really sitting in the middle around that B plus for, for, for the most part. Um, in terms of age, they range from the 1940s all the way up to new construction. It really just depends on what it is and where it is. So we have single family homes that are new construction being built right now and fourplexes in different markets. Uh, and there's a bit of a waiting list for the fourplexes, unfortunately, but that's again, because A, it's new construction, it's, it's, it's limited in supply and there are only certain, certain number of permits in every market that can be pulled to produce those product. Um, what else can I tell you about the properties? Let, uh, let me uh, interject a question yeah. actually on Jacksonville, Florida. You were talking about how you mostly focus on, you know, B and above. 
Uh, what neighborhoods in Jacksonville are you finding those type of assets? Um, Jacksonville, Florida, we, you know what, I was actually do, doing something here while you were doing that. I was trying to pull, um, pull the market up while we were talking to actually give you a real live example, because I know we have some new construction in the market. Um, I don't know if we've sold out of it. So yeah, here's an example. So 139.9 is a three bedroom, two bath home, brand new construction, uh, rents for 1150 a month. So the rent to value ratio, which is a litmus test, kind of a, a quick metric we use is about 0.8, which is actually normal for new construction properties. Um, we like to shoot for that 1% price to rent ratio. Uh, that's really hard to do with new construction only because the price per square foot when you're dealing with new construction is always higher than refurbishing existing inventory. But, um, but those, those properties are typically in A minus type neighborhoods. That's kind of goes with the territory when you're building new construction. That's typically where you're going to find land to, you know, to, to build on because it's in the path of progress. Um, so what was your question again? I don't know if I answered it. Well, you know, one of the questions that I have, the question that I asked was where, what neighborhoods are you finding B and above in Jack's? And then the other question that I'm just curious, and I think a lot of the listeners who might be interested in just doing turnkey uh, mm -hmm. might be wondering what are the price ranges in like Birmingham, Indianapolis, Houston, what might they be paying for a property in those areas? Right, right. Good question. So, uh, you know, that's obviously market specific is what you're going to find in a, in a, an extreme example, San Francisco is going to be radically different than when you find in like, you know, Cleveland or Cincinnati, right? Um, <clears throat> so price ranges, Jacksonville, Florida, you're probably looking at really low end in terms of what we have available from time to time. And this is not the norm is probably around 80,000. The norm is probably 110 to 140 in Jacksonville. In Houston, being a little bit more of an expensive market, it's 120 to 180. Um, Kansas City, I, I'll give you a couple of examples here, probably 120 to 160. Uh, Memphis, you'll find them from 80 to 130, 140. However, we have new construction from time to time in, in Memphis, and that's around the 150, 160 mark. Um, Dallas has appreciated a lot over the last three, four years. And so it's become harder to find what I would call a good deal. There are still deals there, but, um, but not what we used to see. Um, what other market can I cite? Birmingham and Indianapolis. Birmingham, you're going to find uh, 80 to 130. Um, and that will span the B to A minus range. Um, although, you know, across, across the board and all the markets will occasionally have the C plus type categories, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there are differences in, in these different types of neighborhoods that we can talk about if you want, but generally speaking, you know, we're, we're looking at BB plus and Indianapolis 110, 130 is, seems to be the norm. We have, you know, that's just a normal window. We have properties that are outside that range too. You know, I think it's interesting, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be wrong, but when I look at all of the turnkey providers out there, a lot of them are showing assets that are in the D or low C-class neighborhoods. But when you're offering yours, you're offering uh, the B assets instead. I feel like one of the reasons that they might be offering the Cs is because they can get the cash a higher cash flow number. Could you speak to, if that's even accurate, that you're uh, targeting a higher quality 
property and tenant. Is that accurate or am I projecting? I'm actually really glad you asked that question because this is something to be well aware of if you're listening to this. A lot of investors knowingly or unknowingly make this mistake. They actually step on a landmine when it comes to these less expensive properties that are in these C-class or even D you know, class neighborhoods, which I, I call war zones. <clears throat> the, the, the problem is this, and I'm not going to mention, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not going to mention names, but there are some providers out there that are selling sub $75,000 ish properties that typically fall in these C-class neighborhoods. A lot of them are $40,000, $50,000, sometimes $60,000 properties. In the years past, we sold many of those and I, I, there was a point in time where I just drew a line in the sand and said, I'm not going to sell that, that, that class of property anymore because it just comes back to bite, bite the investor in the butt. And then it comes back to us saying, hey, you know, I'm having a lot of problems for this reason or that. <clears throat> Here's the challenge with those types of neighborhoods. First of all, a lot of times when you're looking at 40, 50, even $60,000 properties, it's going to be nearly impossible to get financing for it. That's why you see a lot of these, these other companies or these providers um, <clears throat> asking for all cash purchases. They're not, they're not able to finance them because lenders won't touch them. And even if they yeah. were will, willing to provide financing, it's really hard to find rental comps, you know, real good, like actual rental comps. So that's number one. Number two, anecdotally speaking, the type of demographic of that tenant class that you're dealing with is probably more transient and more problematic. They probably care less about your property and will create more damage and more wear and tear and leave a mess in their wake as they leave. And that could be more frequently because they typically have less stable jobs, uh, lower income and, and, and unstable employment. So they tend to cha um, change employment frequently. Uh, and that means they move more often too. And sometimes they'll, they'll not pay because they just don't care enough to pay. They don't care I'm generalizing here, of course, but they, they may not care about their credit. And so if they get evicted, they'll just move on to the next next $50,000 property owner owner's property. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> um, the, the, and here's where investors fall into the, the trap. They look at the, the pro forma of those properties and it looks really cool, looks sexy on paper. The numbers are high, especially the cash on cash returns if you're able to finance it. But the cap rates are high. And when you're when you're letting cap rate, the capitalization rate, be your guiding metric, that's the direction you turn to. That's the direction you go. But, but you got to step back and look at the big picture. You got to look at all the elements and all the dimensions of this investment because that's going to be a headache. And so, so you're, and another problem with those areas is you see very little to no appreciation. So it may look sexy on paper in terms of your cap rate and cash on cash return, but you're not going to get the appreciation over time that you would in a B, B plus, and it's specifically in the A class neighborhoods. So those are the dangers of, of, of what investors say, I just want to dip my toes in the water. I want to get started or start small. I hate hearing that <clears throat> because now I, I just need to say, hey, you know what? Here's what you need to know. And it's everything I just told you. So excellent. Yeah. A lot, a lot of good advice. Uh, I like that you said, don't let the cap rate drive you. Step back, see the whole big picture. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of wisdom in that, and I really appreciate you sharing it. One thing that I've, when we talked about even before we got started recording is I know you've raised a lot of capital. You've done syndication, apartments. You've done single family, multifamily. Of all of those things that you've done, uh, we're going to jump into final five and find out uh, what is the most creative deal that you've done, Marco Santoroli, but not until we listen to these messages from my friends. 
creative investors, don't you agree that part of an amazing first impression to clients and fellow investors is having a truly creative visual presence? I can say from personal experience, Tannis at Immense Designs can create the product you need to leave a lasting impression. Tannis has done an astounding job with our logos, business cards, and podcast artwork. See for yourself. You can contact Tannis by visiting immensedesigns.us. When there's something strange in the neighborhood, like a one to four unit that needs some major rehab, and you need funding, who are you going to call? Blue Spruce Capital. All right. Are you ready? Yes, sir. I'm ready to go. Of everything that you've done, what's the most creative deal you've ever done? Um, if you want to define this in terms of creativity, it would probably be a 40-unit apartment complex that I purchased with no money down. Uh, I was able, at the time, this is really hard to do today, at the time I was able to structure it where we could raise the price enough to cover my down payment, have it appraise, um, and then my agreement with the seller was that I would get that deposit, uh, the down payment back. Uh, at the close, or I think it was, I got I got most of it at, at the close in terms of a credit, uh, but whatever he wasn't able to do on the closing disclosure, I was able to get, you know, outside of the of the close. So it was I can't remember what we called it back then. There's a term that is allowed by lenders on on the closing disclosure. I think it's um, a maintenance and repair. I don't quote me on this. It's maintenance and repair credit of some kind. So they allow a certain percentage. Now they're much tighter today after two, the crash of 2008. They've really you know, <laughs> button all that down. And now there are limitations. I think 6% is the maximum they're allowed on. That's allowed on residential property. Yeah. Awesome. So you were able to, uh, fictitiously, I, I use that word just because you kind of like raised the price because it appraised, you raised the purchase because it would appraise for a certain amount. So you were able to purchase it at the purchase price, but get enough back at closing where you, a 40 unit apartment building became a no money out-of-pocket deal. That's fantastic. I'm glad you shared that. Is there any other details you want to share on that? Um, it's, it, it, that technique is still doable today, but you need to be creative. And if you're financing the, the, the purchase, the acquisition, you need to make sure that it will appraise for whatever it's priced at. This still happens today. It happens every day, every week where people are getting some sort of you know, credit back in one way or another, legal or illegally. Um, the, the thing is, is if you're going to get an appraiser, you got to have, you got to get lucky. You have to have the right appraiser, you know, come in at the right day to give you maximum appraised value, whatever you're asking for, um, or what you have on your purchase contract. So it's doable, but not to the same degree as it was pre 2007. Okay. Uh, what's a book that you recommend to the listeners? <clears throat> Whenever I get asked this question, <laughs> I can never pick one book. Um, so I can give you a two or three if you want. All right, let's take it. Okay, the, the, I'll make it quick. Uh, if you're just getting started or you need kind of to set your mind in the right frame of mind and think about things the way I'd like you to think about them, I've heard, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, the very first book from Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, is, is a foundational book. And you can take that you know, and read the rest of the books in that Rich Dad series. But that really is foundational because it changes the way you think about investing in assets. Yep. Uh, and I'll, uh, two more I'll throw in there. Not real estate related, but Think and Grow Rich. It's one of those books that you should read once every year or two years. It, it was written back in, I think, the 30s or 40s. So it, it reads a little odd in terms of its English. But, um, but really, that is 
that will make you think outside of that proverbial box. Um, and then I've taken everything we've talked about and everything uh, that I've learned over time. I shouldn't say everything, but a lot of it. And I've tried to distill it into my own book, which is not out yet, but it is in manuscript and it should be coming out in the next month or two. And it's called simply that passive real estate investing, just like the podcast. So um, I'll probably be giving that book away for free for a while. So it'll be posted on a, both of our websites. Excellent. So with uh, Marco Santorelli's book, Passive Real Estate Investing, by the time this episode is live, actually that is already going to be out. So um, do you have a link or do you, should you, you want to share it with me later? Um, it'll be posted literally on both our websites, the P Passive Real Estate Investing site and the Norada Real Estate site. So. Okay, perfect. And we'll grab, I'll double check that I have those written down right after sure. the, uh, we get off. As far as question number three, it's my favorite question. Think back where you were five years ago, Marco, and think where are you going to be in five years and tell us about those pictures. Personally or business-wise? That is up to you. That is up to you. <laughs> Whatever my uh, listeners are going to learn the most from. Um. Well, this fits in with the mission. I'll tell you about my business goal, uh, where we were five years ago, where I, where I plan to be five years from now. And this fits in with, you know, our, our mission. Five years ago, we were probably um, moving about 250 units, 450 uh, properties per year, um, helping real estate investors build their portfolio and create passive income and cash flow. Five, today, we're closer to the 500 mark. And in five years from now, uh, probably in, let's say two years from now, but you want to talk about five years, we want to be at the thousand plus per year mark. Okay. And the reason is, is it, you know, it kind of ties into the mission, which, which you probably will ask me about, but I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, our goal, our mission as, as a business and what my personal goal is, is to help as many people as possible create financial freedom. In other words, time freedom, but create financial freedom as we possibly can help. That's the mission of our, our company. And, and that's a big reason why we do what we do. And so the more people we can help, the better off we'll all be. Because at the end of the day, if you're relying on a 401k, an IRA, um, the government, you know, hopefully not, you know, you're not going to have the lifestyle you want, you know, when you're in your 40s, your 50s and 60s. So we want to help people accelerate that. Perfect. Thank you. How do you give back? Well, this is exactly what we were just talking about, you know, the whole mission. So it's really, for me, the vehicle is the business. The business Norada Real Estate is really helping investors create that portfolio, getting into real estate investing or expanding what they're already doing in real estate investing. And just like what you're doing, you know, you're helping spread the word. You're helping people learn more and, and, and educate themselves. And I'm a big believer in education. My first rule of successful real estate investing is, is, is to educate yourself, build that knowledge because not, that knowledge is a currency. It's spendable. You can use it and grow what you're doing. You know, that's saying, you know, um, uh, the more you learn, the more you earn. There's there's a lot of truth in that. And I'll take that one step further. Build your network. The, the bigger your, your network, the, the more opportunities come your way. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And then um, how do people get a hold of you? Let's talk about websites and any other ways that they can get a hold of you. Yeah, really the best way is just through the two websites because I have support staff and a whole team of, uh, I have six investment counselors and we're here to just you know, help share the word, spread, spread our knowledge and help guide you. And, and even if we can't help you, you know, that, that initial conversation, that strategy session that we have is really a great place for someone who is starting or just thinking about real estate investing. 
So um, noradarealestate.com, our core website, which is actually in the process of being uh, rebuilt. So we're freshening it, freshening it up. Uh, that's, the, that's our main website. Passiverealestateinvesting.com will link back to our, our main website, but that's the home of our podcast as well as a bunch of free information too. Really appreciate you sharing that. That is all in the links in the show notes. And then I hope that they'll go down and grab that book right away while it's still free. I uh, appreciate <laughs> you coming on and sharing all this information with the listeners. Uh, until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thank you so much. If you love this content, please leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. As a reminder, any investment opportunities mentioned on this show are for accredited investors only. I'm ready to have that conversation with you. It's pretty easy to set up. There's a link to my online calendar available for you in the show notes. Scroll down now and pick a time on there that works best for both of us. Until next time, think outside the box.